And yeah, I, I didn't really think of myself as a YouTuber. Um, I could still remember like one of my students um, kind of like jokingly posted on Facebook, like, hey, my professor is a YouTuber now. Hey everyone, welcome today. I'm going to be interviewing Data Professor from YouTube and we're going to learn more about him. So welcome Tinin, how are you? Great, yeah, it's a pleasure being on your podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. So before we get into your YouTube channel and what you do right now, I want to learn about your background. So can you introduce yourself a little bit? What is your educational background? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so my educational background um, well, it began in um, undergraduate. I have a bachelor's of science in biology uh, with a pre-med uh, concentration. Um, shortly after graduating, I joined a PhD program uh, in medical technology where I did initially um, experimental biology work into tissue engineering, protein engineering, and then later on picked up uh, computational biology, computational chemistry, data mining, and machine learning. And then afterward, I did some postdoctoral awesome. training um, at various universities like Lund University and also at Uppsala University. And yeah. And then you became a professor. And then, yeah, I became a lecturer first and then an assistant professor and then an associate professor. And yeah, and like just before uh, leaving the, the university, I applied for professorship and the envelope for decision of be, be, whether being a full professor or not actually came in at the moment that I resigned. So um, I left the envelope oh. unopened. So I don't know uh, what the, what's the story there. I see, I see. But at least you were really close to being a full professor. Uh, so the name data professor is not just a random name. Right. You are actually a qualified person <laughs> in this area. And uh, you mentioned computational chemistry, right? right computational right, right. biology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, how is it different than normal biology? Yeah, like computational biology is more or less like you're, you're using um, algorithms to design RNA or to design DNA primer, like the, the nucleic acid that is used to amplify DNA. Um, mm -hmm. so, so it's using computational calculation, like particular nucleic acid would have a certain uh, melting temperature, and then all of these will be you know, like added, and, um, and then you, you get the, the temperature that is optimal for uh, like annealing or like into um, when, when you're doing the amplification mm. um, in terms so of is it yeah. kind of like simulating simulations sort of thing well it, it could be computation just like a calculator mm -hmm. yeah like you have a, yeah. a particular equation and then you could just use mm -hmm. for example you could use python to do the calculation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay that's interesting. And is there any machine learning part to that part of your background too? Yeah. So I picked that up um, when I was analyzing a data set of uh, proteins, like green fluorescent proteins. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. we were uh, the first to actually apply machine learning to green fluorescent proteins uh, back in 2000, I think 2005 or 2006, which we published. Mm -hmm. 
back in the days. Oh, that's really cool. So you were one of the first people, well, you were the first person to take this approach to the problem that you were working on. Right. And then you started with your YouTube channel. Was that around the same time or no, was it later? No, that was way later. So, so 2005 was when like I was doing my PhD, which began in 2000 and 2002. And in 2006, mm -hmm. I completed my PhD. And then I joined as a lecturer at the university. And then I started my YouTube channel in 13 years later in 2019. Oh, I see. So you had like a whole academic career and then you decided to make the switch to a YouTube for now at least. Right. And what made you interested in data science enough to build a YouTube channel around it? Right. Yeah. So like when, when I was mentoring students at the university uh, for their master's or undergraduate or PhD projects. Um, one of the recurring question was that like for every year there, there would be like similar questions. Uh, new students would ask similar questions. They would undergo similar problems. And so like an idea clicked, like why, why don't I just kind of like answer for future students? Like, if there's mm -hmm. video versions of questions like FAQ um, that could potentially be viewed by future students, then then the effort of you know like repetitively answering the same questions could then be directed toward answering more complicated questions. And so mm -hmm. yeah, that led to um, like a domino effect, and then yeah, into a, a full full blown YouTube channel. Awesome. So, but then you did not actually start with the intention of, oh, I want to build a hit YouTube channel where I talk about data science or machine learning. No, actually, it was just kind of like, I just wanted to experiment, um, wanted to to see how, how it is to like teach online. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, it was just an experiment back in the days. I see. Yeah. yeah, and I guess back then, you know, the pandemic hasn't happened yet. So we did not really have that much teaching online going on. Maybe on YouTube, there were some channels teaching people. But I guess at least in schools, we mm -hmm. did not really have that remote teaching happening so much. So it's definitely, you're probably one of the first, like earliest uh, experimenters of this. Just super cool. And uh, are you still active academically? Do you still work in the bioinformatics field or not? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so I'm answering whether I'm still active in, in bioinformatics. Um, well, there there were some some projects that I accepted prior to resigning. Uh, like, for example, a book chapter um, that I promised to contribute mm -hmm. to one of the um books published by Elsevier, um, which is a company based in Amsterdam. Um, and yeah, so mm -hmm. I have some um, some writing to do. Um, there are some other collaborative research projects that I'm helping to finalize uh, for PhD students and also a former um, postdoctoral fellow that I supervised mm -hmm. uh, when I was in the university. Yeah. So uh, um, other than that, there's no there's no new projects, um, just kind of like completing mm -hmm. the old ones. 
Yeah, I see. So just tying up some loose ends and then you're going to be done with that chapter of your life and fully focus on YouTube uh, for now. And uh, just to learn more about your YouTube journey. So how long has it been since you started? Yeah, so uh, you briefly mentioned about the pandemic. So the pandemic happened in 2019 uh, around like toward the end of the year, December. I released the first video on August um, back in 2019. So it was about like three to four months before the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so at the time, yeah, you also asked like how, what motivated me to, to start the channel. And actually the, the, the big motivator was my daughter um, with the question of why don't you create a YouTube channel? And then so that led mm -hmm. like one, one thought to the other and then actually buying a camera um, and procrastinating for like a couple of months, two to three months. <laughs> Um, buying some camera gears and, you know, a Blue Yeti microphone. Yeah, so the channel could have started earlier, maybe um, at the beginning of 2019. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and then after that, like about four to five videos in, um, the pandemic happened. And then I started to notice like a, an upsurge of video views on YouTube. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, and, and, and also there were some other, uh, data science YouTuber like Kenji, uh, he, he reached out mm -hmm. for a collaboration on um, a video that I've made for his channel about like how to build a portfolio website using Hugo. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that brought in additional um, subscribers to the YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't really think of myself as a YouTuber. Um, I could still remember like one of my students um, kind of like jokingly posted on Facebook, like, hey, my professor is a YouTuber now. And yeah, it, it used <laughs> to be a bit like, you know, like uh, a bit shy, you know, like, yeah. Uh -huh. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and then like afterwards, like, you know, back back to like collaborations. Um, yeah, and then we, I gathered the courage to reach out to other content creators and then, uh, do more mm -hmm. collaborations, podcasts, and yeah, reaching out to researchers like Pat Walters uh, to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. He's an expert in um, chem informatic um, and also at the mm -hmm. interface of machine learning. And yeah, and so, yeah, um, and eventually had a collaboration with um, Joe Matek, uh creating a video for his other YouTube channel, Data IQ, Recall by mm -hmm. Data IQ. And yeah, it was a pretty fun journey in this short, packed three years so far. Awesome. Yeah, and it sounds like the main driver was, I guess, the pandemic and the fact that a lot of people started learning online and also collaborations. But it also seems like, at least seems to me, that it would have helped uh, to have a teaching experience, right, for that many years, 13, you said, I guess. 15 now. And uh, yeah, and then f 15, yeah. So now you have 15 years of experience in teaching people. And now the last couple of years also teaching online. So I'm sure that also makes a difference rather than, you know, just someone who was an expert in the field, but maybe is not as good as explaining in explaining things as you. Oh, well, um, yeah. Th thanks for the kind <laughs> words. Um, yeah, I, I certainly think that um, having some teaching experience would definitely help in being a content creator. Um, you know, like actually, like a couple of years ago, like maybe 10, five or 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, the university uh, where I worked at previously, um, 
in Thailand, uh, wanted to encourage professors to teach online, like create like hmm. online videos or or at least pre-recorded video for teaching. Um, hmm. Like it could also be like animation, animated videos. But then a lot of the professors were quite you know like afraid of um, of doing that. And particularly, I think it's because they, they have no experience like recording in front of a camera, um, mm-hmm. creating, you know, animation or um, screencast, you know, like all of those are quite foreign to them. Um, but then like the pandemic hit and um, everyone was forced to teach online anyway. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah, we we content creators have like a, like a early, what, what do you call it? An early advantage where we mm-hmm. experimented for a while. And then when it actually came the time where everyone was forced to teach online, then yeah, we had the tools, we had the know-how um, to proceed further. And yeah. yeah, I think like the situation of the world is kind of like, it forces the professors to adapt and then mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they have to be content creators, um, you know, like unwillingly, I guess. Uh, but yeah. n- nevertheless, um, I think the, the world is moving toward that direction where online education, I mean, with no borders, is the future. And, yeah. you know, like before you would have to physically travel to a campus in order to receive like education or uh, or do internship. Uh, nowadays, there are, you know, other than online videos for teaching, online educational program, like a full bachelor's or master's or PhD yeah. degree, there are also like this platform for doing internship as well, like a virtual internship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even now we have this remote work. Yeah. So it's opening up many doors. And yeah, I think YouTube is a, a prominent place for free education, um, like practice, aside from data science, you could learn anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm also really curious to see what we're going to see in the coming five to 10 years in terms of how this like remote learning, remote working is going to bring to our lives because like I've always been interested in remote work, but before the pandemic, it was not really possible. There were not that many possibilities uh, and it the, even the opportunities were not as good, but I feel like with every passing day, we're seeing like more and more opportunities there. That's going to be very interesting. But that brings me actually to the fact that you also are a content creator or developer educator, right? Uh, for Streamlit or now Snowflake. So how did that happen? Yeah, so it actually kind of like happened by chance. Um, yeah, like before actually joining Streamlit, I created like one of the early videos on my channel, like Streamlit tutorial, like how to build mm-hmm. a data app using Streamlit. Um, and then that le- led to like a playlist of now about 44 videos on the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also about some Streamlit posts. only. About Streamlit, yeah, like a playlist wow, of okay. uh, Streamlit videos. Yeah. All right. uh, one by one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and then like, I saw on Stack Overflow, you know, like on the panel, there's like job openings uh, when mm-hmm. I was a professor. And then uh, I, I kind of took take a peek at like some of the open positions. And then 
back then it was like only a few remote work um, in, in software engineering or uh, mm-hmm. related to what I'm doing. I mean, I mean, like there's not a lot of positions that's related to what I was doing uh, before. I was looking into like remote like researcher position or professor position that but then there weren't nothing about that and then yeah after like two to three years i revisited the same um thought about remote work and then it Mm -hmm. seemed to have a lot more openings um particularly i I guess it's part of the um the the effects of the pandemic Um, companies are Mm -hmm. going remote and therefore, there are more. There were more openings, and yeah, I saw an opening up from Streamlit, and then I went to Twitter. Um, I see some of the um, Twitter friends, you know, like who were a YouTuber, joining um, tech company as a developer mm-hmm. advocate. And I was thinking to myself, what if, what if I do the same, you know, transition? Um, mm-hmm. But then. But then I have a family, right? So it's like not not only myself, but then I have to be sure that the transition from academia to tech and also remotely mm-hmm. would work. Yeah. So I spent about one to two months you know, like figuring out the possibility of that. And then mm-hmm. yeah, and then reaching out to the company and then here we are today. Nice. Yeah, so basically I think this is a question a lot of people have when they want to get into content creation or being a developer advocate in a company as apart from the financial questions. Also, is that going to satisfy me? Because to become a technical content creator, you also have to be a technical person. So you're either a data scientist, a software engineer, machine learning engineer, etc. In your case, you were a researcher. And uh, how did you find that switch? Do you still feel like you're learning every day and the job satisfies you and challenges you or not? <laughs> right. Yeah, so I myself, I, I'm not a computer scientist. I don't have a tech background. Uh, my undergraduate is in biology. And so I self-taught myself programming, particularly Python and R. Mm-hmm. Um, I failed at learning C++. I failed at learning <laughs> Java. Um, but then, yeah, like, you know, having persistence and, you know, like trying to apply Python or R to solve biological problems eventually led me to breaking into programming. And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of learning, I, I find great satisfaction in learning new topics, new tools you know, in, in, in tech, new Python libraries to explore mm-hmm. and to use. Um, yeah, like. As mentioned, like I think I like to tinker with these tools and I like to build. So yeah, being a developer advocate, you get to build apps, you get to uh, talk about it, you get to write about it, you get to record, you know, like tutorial videos. So it's essentially like the same task or similar um, skill set as a YouTuber. So yeah, I, I don't know why, but, but then it's like it kind of translates um, mm-hmm. the skill sets to becoming a uh, developer advocate. And also, um, strangely, uh, my prior experience as a professor at the university, um, you know, like teaching or, or doing research, grant writing um, for, for research projects, 
also mm -hmm. translate to blog, you know, like writing blogs, mm -hmm. uh, but then less technical. How, how, mm -hmm. how can you communicate to a wider audience? Mm -hmm. um, but the only foreign thing is, I think, so it's like the skill set is coming from different profession, um, mm -hmm. blogs, writing, uh, as a developer advocate, I think probably came from my experience as a, a, as a researcher, as a professor, mm -hmm. because we have to write a lot of research papers, uh, research grant. Um, in terms of content creation, like video creation, tutorials, so that came from YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you basically have been using your overall skills that you learn from everywhere. And I think at the Here end of the day, there. it's... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lot about communicating, right? It's a lot about communicating mm -hmm. complex ideas and theories and algorithms uh, to an audience that might not have that many, that much experience, at least not as much as you. And I mean, you seem to be doing it greatly as we also see <laughs> of the amount of growth that you see in your channel, which is amazing to see. And so now you have your YouTube channel, your personal YouTube channel, you're a developer uh, advocate for uh, Snowflake and for Streamlit specifically, and you have some a loose ends that you're tying with bioinformatics fields academically. But what is your plan for the future, especially for your channel? What, where do you see yourself? In? I mean, that's a lame question, but <laughs> not in five years, but in the future right. somewhere, where, where do you want to go with your channel? Ah, okay. That's a great question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, well, I guess um, continuing creating free tutorial videos on YouTube. Um, probably I would like to, uh, aside from only being a content creator, I would lo love to write books probably mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, I think it's one of the dreams to have a O'Reilly book. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, I hope to explore more into that domain. Um, yeah. In terms of YouTube, I guess, create more videos, grow the channel some more so that the tutorial mm -hmm. video could reach a wider audience. Um, perhaps create a Thai version for the YouTube channel. Not mm -hmm. sure, but yeah, that would be worth experimenting with. So like data science for in Thai language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there any channels like that right now? Data science in well, Thai? I think it's not so many. I, I, I see only a few, like two to three, mm -hmm. but then they're purely uh, from academic uh, professors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it would be cool to explore from the perspective of a tech. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I also thought about making Turkish versions of my uh, videos too, but then I always get conflicted because uh, then in which language am I going to say the terms that we mm -hmm. use? I like I don't even know. I'm not sure if I know how to say machine learning in Turkish. I would just say machine learning. Uh -huh. So it's always a bit tricky, right? Then if I'm all going to say right. all the phrases in English, then why am I doing it in Turkish to begin with? So that's uh, right. it's always tricky <laughs> when we when you're bilingual. Uh, and one of the last things that I want to ask you is, you know, you've been working on your YouTube channel for a while now. You're getting comments from people. You're interacting with the community. And what is your go-to advice that you give to people uh, when they ask you that, when they tell you that they want to become data scientists? Right. Um, go-to advice. Well, I, I guess it's kind of like there's no clear path to becoming a data scientist. 
um, whether you're coming from a technical background or a non-technical background, like economics, finance, or biology. Well, I've created a mind map. Let, let me get that. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen it on Twitter, that mind map. Right. It's famous. Yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, yeah, this was shared on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Um, I, I guess the cumulative number of engagement is probably exceeding 10,000 um, on all mm -hmm. platforms. Um, yeah, and sometimes I would share the same infographic. So you can see that it, it was drawn in February of 2020. Oh, wow. And so I haven't, I haven't really updated this yet. Um, yeah, so a lot of people are suggesting like components to add to the map. And I, I certainly agree there's a lot of room to explore in this. Mm -hmm. Probably might, you know, make a new version of this. Right. And do you do is there a place where people can go and see this? Right. So I have it shared on GitHub. So I probably mm -hmm. could send over the link and you could also include in the video description as well. Right. All right. So if you want to get that uh, infographic, people, you can go to the link in the description. Uh, and last question I have for you. I'm curious about your favorite tech stack, basically, the favorite language, the favorite tool that you use, or the favorite libraries uh, that you use to build your projects. Cool. Yeah. So if you asked me like three years ago when I started my YouTube channel, I probably would say R uh, because back in the days, there, there, there was no streamlet, right? Uh, mm -hmm. There was Shiny. And so, yeah, like, like a long story, it's like before I, I learned Python and then I switched to R because there was Shiny. Mm -hmm. And then I switched back to Python because there was Streamlit and that the, the subscribers of the channel requested for more Python tutorials mm -hmm. because in, uh, in the early... Uh, video content of my channel. If you would go back and check, yeah, a lot of the content, a lot of the comments were like, "Why don't you create tutorials using Python?" And so, and and then I waited for you know like completing the series of R tutorials, and then yeah, made made the transition to creating tutorials using Python, which has been longstanding for the past two and a half years, and I, I'm a bit rusty in R now. Um, yeah, so my tech stack would be. Programming language is Python, um, and the IDE that I'm using is VS Code and also Atom, which seems to be um, deprecating um, or discontinued um, from oh. GitHub. Yeah, and, and also on the cloud, just using GitHub, just editing mm -hmm. the code file. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, the code is pushed into the Streamlit app automatically and so, so that allows me the flexibility of working on an iPad or on an iPhone while on the travel. Wow. So you're even coding on your iPhone, on your iPad while you're traveling? I sometimes, you know, like make some small edits, typo, you know. I see. Or, oh, or, right, or just right, experimenting. Right, okay. mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel Not like heavy the coding. phone could be a little bit too small <laughs> <laughs> exactly. to debug things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Uh, I want to ask you one of the questions that we got from our audience, also on Twitter. Someone mm -hmm. asked you, how can you keep up with good overall morale and maintain such a high enthusiasm whilst carrying out so many projects concurrently and learning new things? Okay, that's a great question. So I haven't really mastered that yet. 
Um, and I know that in tech, um, burnout is a real thing. And I'm not sure if burnout is a feeling where you get like unmotivated to do things. Sometimes I would feel that, you know, like being lazy, you know, even to record mm -hmm. tutorial videos on, on YouTube. Um, it's still a challenge for me, you know, like working a full-time job and then at night, you know, like doing content creation, recording tutorials and then editing late in the night and then work full-time job and uh, manage family life. Uh, I have a daughter, so uh, spending time with family. And so, yeah, a lot of um, things to handle and I work by the clock. So it's like content creation strictly from this time to this time. Uh, mm -hmm. This time to this time is family time. And yeah, so or, or, or also like sending my daughter off to school, picking her up from school and yeah, everything is like based on the schedule and yeah. So I guess the, the schedule helps to kind of like restrict like the, the focus, like, okay, within this mm -hmm. time frame, should be able to get some work done. I see. Yeah. I mean, everyone can make that plan, but it's also important to be able to stick to that plan and be disciplined enough to get yourself to like sit down on your desk and do the editing when you just want to watch TV, right? <laughs> right. Right. Like YK, um, the creator of CS Dojo, uh, another YouTuber uh, in tech, mm -hmm. he, he mentioned that if you spend like two minutes to do some task, and then if you decide that you, and then you could decide later whether you want to continue doing it or you could quit. Mm -hmm. So mm. investing two minutes on doing a task that you might feel lazy to do, it's a good start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like also sometimes you, if you just give yourself that two minutes and after the, at the end of the two minutes, you're probably already invested exactly. anyways, you'll probably just exactly. get it down now that you loaded everything in your brain. Right. <laughs> nice. Tonin, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and answering my questions. It was really awesome talking to you. Yep, likewise, and thanks for having me here. <laughs>